week in um, in First Samuel, and I wanted to do kind of a a quick overview of where we have been, and kind of maybe try to draw some things together, some thoughts together. So I've got 45 minutes to cover what we've taken 13 weeks to do. So y'all are going to have to listen real fast, okay? No, we will just, uh, the handouts you've got, we probably won't get to the whole thing, but I, I gave it to you so that if you're interested in kind of um, reviewing it, you can. Um, Samuel, the first Samuel, is kind of, I see it as kind of an interlude uh, in the in the history and the nation of Israel. The nation has come out of the period of the judges where there was tremendous turmoil. There was uh, ups and downs. You know, there was rebellion one place, uh, submission the next. It was just a very, very turbulent time. And of course, God had in line, had in mind for His people um, the establishing of of the nation of Israel, of of, of strengthening the kingdom under under uh, David. And so this is kind of a, 1 Samuel is kind of an interlude, kind of a time between David and uh, all of the uh, fragmented stuff that was going on during the time of the judges. And it was kind of a time of, of house cleaning and a time of reestablishing. I, I tried to come up with an analogy of, of this and the best thing I can come up with, and it's probably not very good, but is that of a, of a train that is derailed. And I almost see the nation of Israel like that. I mean, they, during the period of the judges, it says everybody was doing what, was in their own, what was, seemed to be good in their own mind. So it was like the, the, the train got derailed, you know. Boxcars were going everywhere and you know, all kind of, everybody, every little car had its own engineering, was doing its own thing and that type of thing. And so First Samuel was kind of a time when God's putting, this is not theological so don't hold me too close to it, but this is a time when God's putting the boxcars back on the train, on the, on the track, okay. There are certain boxcars that have to be ejected, like Eli and Saul, and there's some trouble in the camp that needs to be dealt with. Okay, but God has His plan to establish the kingdom under under David. So in First Samuel, we see God getting the nation ready for that. Okay, there are six major people that He we see in the book of First Samuel that God uses to again, get his people going back in the right direction. And that's what we want to kind of get an overview of this morning. We have gone through, last fall, of course, we went through six weeks, and uh, this uh, spring we've, we've spent about seven and going through this book. And I just want to recap what we've done so we get, at one time, we get kind of an idea of what's going on. Okay, you have your handout. Does anyone need a handout? I can get one to you. Everybody's got a handout that wants one. Okay. The message of 1 Samuel is a continuing unfolding of God's redemptive plan which began back in Genesis. It's really important to remember there's no plan B, plan C with God. 
what he started in Genesis 1 is just unfolding. And this is what we see coming along. It's an account of a sovereign God choosing to work through mortal man as he graciously chooses, calls, and equips them to serve him according to and beyond their ability. That's still what's going on. Okay? Uh, God uses people like us. Okay? You know, one thing that we can, one, uh, um, one thing we can sell ourselves short on is to think, well, I can't do it. I'm not equipped. I, you know, I can't, I can't. Well, that's right, you can't. But with God, you can't, you know. And so he chooses and calls and equips those uh, to, to serve even beyond their ability. You say, well, that's, that's impossible. Well, that's God, you know. 1 Corinthians 1, 27-29 speaks to this. He says, Consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world and the despised. God has chosen the things that are not, so that he might nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before him. So, I don't know about you, but I, I see myself as not many mighty, not many noble. I see myself as weak, you know. We all do, I think, when it comes to, to the things of God, things of the kingdom. But that's where God wants us, you know. He doesn't want somebody who's so self-assured and strong and got it all under control and, boy, I'm out there. I can do it. You know, I tell you, told you too many times about a little girl when she was two years old. My duty, Daddy. I'd try to tie her shoe for my duty, Daddy, and she'd push my hand away. And you know, She stopped that when she was about 22, so don't worry. <laughs> they, they do get it over that. You know, I hope she's got two of her own now, and I hope they're telling her, my do it, Mommy, my do it. <laughs> you know, comes around. But God, if we don't see anything out of what we're going to review this morning, realize that as we go through these lives of these six people and see some of the ways that God has dealt with them and worked with them and equipped them, don't put them on a pedestal. You know, they're plain Joes just like you and me. But there are people who were available to God and God used them. We don't get very far into the book of First of Samuel and we in fact, about two verses, I think. And we encounter a man by the name of Elkanah. Okay? Now, this Elkanah was the husband of... Um, I'm going to say Ruth sometime this morning, so you all just get ready for it, okay? Is the husband of Hannah. And one commentator, and I love this, one commentator that I read said that the significance of Elkanah was his insignificance. We really don't know a whole lot about him. He wasn't especially equipped. He wasn't a, you know, but he was just a normal man that God chose for his own purposes to, um, to lead his family. And that's, that's basically all he did. So guys, that's, that's where our call comes very often. A little bit about his background. Um, he brought great stability 
um, and leadership to his family. You see that all through. And I mean, you only got like five or six verses on this man's life. So you need to go back this afternoon and read that. But he was a man apparently of some social standing because there is a genealogy recorded in, in the book of 1 Samuel for him. A man of moderate wealth. He was, he was able to take his family to Shiloh every year to be able to offer the sacrifices that were required. Um, if I was, this is not a pattern for us, but he had two wives. Okay? So he had to be a man of at least some means to be able to, to support two wives, which he apparently did uh, in, a, in a godly fashion. And he was a man of genuine affection and, and faithful piety towards him. I mean, it's a beautiful thing to read in there how he cared for Hannah, especially when she was dealing with the fact that she was childless, you know. And, and you can see his affection for her uh, and his love for her. So he was a man who focused on, on his family, I believe. And I think that's one of the things that God used. That's one of the strengths that he had. He was also a man who was faithful. He was attentive to his responsibilities to the Lord and to his family. Okay, he made the pilgrimage to Shiloh each year to worship and to offer sacrifices. And he fully supported Hannah's commitment in giving Samuel up to the Lord. Okay? Uh, when, when the time came when Samuel was born, uh, Elkanah and, and uh, uh, Hannah went back home. She decided that she would not go back on the annual trips each year to Shiloh to offer the sacrifices until such time as Samuel was weaned. Okay? Now, I've often wondered why she wouldn't go. And I never realized until we, I was studying this time, she didn't go because until he was weaned, she could not fulfill the vow that she had made to God. She made a vow to God that she would give Samuel to him, and she couldn't complete that vow until the time came. But she said, I will not go up to, to um, Shiloh again until the child was weaned. And so what we're looking at here is Elkanah's response, and he says, do what seems best to you. Remain until you have weaned him. Only may God confirm his word, or that could be translated his purpose. So Elkanah was, was totally behind his wife's decision. Uh, okay? You know, we'll, we'll cover that later. Okay. So he was, a, he was a godly man, but he was used mightily of God, but he was just a man. And he was just taking care of his family as God gave him the opportunity to. You know? So we don't want to overlook the, sight, the, 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 the importance of us as men and wives too, of course, as mothers, to, to do the, the normal things, you know, the normal things that God gives us an opportunity to do. We never know what kind of an impact they're going to have. But not too, soon, not too long after um, we're introduced to his wife, Hannah, the word tells us that the Lord had closed her womb. You know, the writer, the first Samuel got right to the point. Okay, he introduces Hannah and he says the Lord had closed her womb. But by withholding a child, God captured Hannah's heart and it became the focus and the desire of her life. Sometimes we, God withholds something from us 
that we really want. We really want it. And God will use that to capture our attention and to lead us. And that's exactly what he did with, with Hannah. Okay? Hannah had every human reason to be bitter against God. But by the grace given to her, she responded in faith-filled brokenness and submission to his will as expressed in her vow. Many a person, many a family can get bitter because they can't have a child or they can't have, you fill in the blank, you know. But so often God uses those things to grab our attention. You know? If we respond properly the way she did, then God will use that for his purposes. If we respond in bitterness and anger and resentment towards God, then we often miss the blessing that God has for us. But her vow that expressed this desire said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall never come on his head. So God's withholding that blessing, that desire of her heart, God's withholding it has first off drawn Hannah's attention to himself through that need. And he has drawn out of her the, the commitment that he wanted her to make. Okay. So she said, if you will indeed look on my affliction, I will give him to the Lord. That's not her bargaining with God. That's just the outpouring of her heart. Okay. So the Lord remembered her and she conceived and gave birth to a son and named him Samuel. And in fulfillment of her vow, she raised him until he was weaned and then took him to Shiloh that he may appear before the Lord and stay there forever. Now, we don't know how old Samuel was when he, uh, when he went. It, back in these days and in this culture, uh, very often the mothers would, would nurse the children for some years. But at least we would think by four or five years of age, he was probably weaned. But can you imagine taking a, a four or five-year-old child of yours and giving him to someone else, I mean, to raise. And as we're going to see in a few minutes, he was giving him, she, she was giving him to a totally ungodly situation with Eli, and she knew it. But her commitment was so, and her faith was so strong in God that she was able to, just, you know, every, every family wants a child, just about, you know, and every family cherishes that child. But this was a, consuming passion of this woman's life was to have this child for the Lord and then to be willing and able to give it up. It's, it's, an, it's an awesome thing. We can't use that word. Dan's out of town. I can use that word. You know, it's an awesome thing. I believe that... Um, the reason that she could see that, I think she had a, a desire for a child, 
she wanted to, she had a desire to glorify God through a child but I think also because of the of the tumultuous situation of the nation of Israel at that time with the judges and all I believe that she saw in him the possibility that God would use him to restore the nation I mean the bird doesn't say that but I believe there had to be something more than just a desire to get rid of this kid you know she had to see had to believe that God was working in that situation that he would glorify himself through it Hannah was a woman of prayer you know when she was greatly distressed she prayed to the Lord you remember when she was before Eli the priest in the temple and she was was praying she prayed to acknowledge God's answer for this boy I prayed she prayed in thanksgiving uh, when when he came that my heart exalts in the Lord and God had Mary to pattern her prayer uh, of exaltation after Hannah's so she was a great woman of prayer their home was in Ramon now this um, I should put a parenthesis around that paragraph this is the gospel according to Joe okay the scripture doesn't say this, but I have a feeling this is what happened. I believe that God honored Elkanah and Hannah in giving Samuel to him by having Samuel to reside and to minister out of Ramah, which was where um, Elkanah and Hannah lived. Over and over, about six or seven times during the book of 1 Samuel, it says, and Samuel returned to Ramah. Samuel returned to Ramah. Samuel returned to Ramah. And I just believe that, 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 that our God would do something like that, that he would, that, that he would be allowed to, to return to his mother, to be around, uh, to be around her. Like I say, the scripture doesn't say that. I don't know. It does say that he kept going back to Ramah. Um, and in the very end, in 1 Samuel 25, 1, it says that he died and they again buried him in Ramon. It's a quote there. I forgot to write down who it was and I don't remember now who said it. But God didn't ask Hannah to lead an army as he did Deborah or intercede with a king as he did Esther. He simply asked her to fulfill her heart's desire and give birth to a son. All Hannah wanted was to be a woman of God who obeyed the will of God. In doing this, she helped to save the nation of Israel. Yeah. So often we see our routines as being so insignificant. You know? And I don't think the ladies in our church see raising children as insignificant, but in a lot of places that's the way it's looked at. That's the way it's looked at. You know, again, understand, Hannah didn't realize what was going on in the grand scheme of things. You know, not at this point. Hannah was simply a godly woman who was committed to God and who lived to fulfill the desires that God had given her. Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. That doesn't mean he's going to give you a pink Cadillac if that's your desire. 
it means that he's going to put his desire in your heart. You know, and that's a tremendous treasure. Okay. So, we have Elkanah, we have Hannah, and then we've also got to deal with Eli and his sons. Okay. You know, uh, part of the problem that God is directing, redirecting, is some disobedient guys that have, have that have that are in the um, that are in the story, so to speak, uh, in nation of Israel at this time. And Eli and his sons were uh, two people who had really um, gotten off the track. Uh, he was in, he was the priest who was assigned to Shiloh. He wasn't the quote high priest, but he was the lead priest in Shiloh. They had. Uh, worship centers set up all around the country because people couldn't always travel to get to to the uh, to the main tabernacle t- tent um, and Eli was responsible for the, what went on in Shiloh but he had become totally incompetent to lead his family and the nation he has because of his disobedience his the sinfulness uh, his heart was was dull and it was um, it was hardened by the sin that he had allowed in there. Eli compromised as a father. Um, God said, "You honor me above your sons." He he had um, he failed to control, correct and control his sons and their disobedience. He was compromised as a priest. Um, he said, "God said, you kick against my sacrifice." That means to scorn or to treat with contempt. When the people brought the animal to be sacrificed, the the, uh, the law told them exactly which portions of that sacrifice, that animal, were to be given to God, which portions they could keep for themselves, which portions went to the to the priests. And it, it all had a significance. But when people would bring the meat to be sacrificed, Samuel's sons would reach in with a fork and pull out the meat that they wanted, you know, and to the disregard of God's directions and God's law. Okay? And it would take all morning to, to open that one up. But they were just showing such disrespect. You know, it would be almost like we were getting ready to take communion or Lord's Supper and uh, somebody went up front and just started, you know, grabbing bread and the wine that you were going to take. You know, that's probably a bad illustration. But, I mean, that's the kind of dis- disrespect that they were showing. And and Eli was not doing anything about it. You know, Scripture says that he said, did say, well, sons, now, this is not good. You shouldn't do this. But as the head priest, he should have removed them. You know, he should have removed them. The sinfulness of his sons, um, you know, the, the Lord just doesn't pull punches right at the very when he starts listing the, the different characteristics of the sons. The first one, he, the Lord says, is they didn't know the Lord. You know that was the root of their problem. They just didn't know him. Now has got has two guys that have grown up in the church, so to speak. Okay, every single day. I mean, they didn't just have to come on Sunday. They had to live with it seven days a week. They had grown up in the church, but they did not know God. As a result, Scripture says that they were worthless men. They despised the offering 
of the Lord, and they will grossly immoral. Okay. And um, they were just totally profane. And yet we see that even in a situation like that, God's purposes were fulfilled. You know, God used Eli and his sons to, to fulfill part of his will for Samuel. First off, Eli counseled Samuel wisely when God was speaking to him. You remember Samuel was sleeping one night and God called to him. He went to Eli. Eli finally realized it was God speaking to him. And then when, when God told Samuel what he was going to do to judge Eli, the next morning, you remember, Eli asked him, my son's not, tell me what happened. Don't hold anything back. So Samuel let him have it. And, and uh, Eli accepted it. You know, He accepted what God had, had, um, had come in his way. He didn't have any choice, but he, he did accept it. And then, of course, Eli did have a hand in teaching Samuel about the tabernacle and, and a lot of the things that he learned came from from Eli. So it's not like one bad person in the pot is going to throw God's plan off. It doesn't. You know, God knew what was going to happen. God used even Eli's evil in spite of Eli to fulfill his purposes. So thank goodness there weren't too many Eli's around. There's one more we're going to talk about. Then on the scene comes Samuel. Okay, he's grown up. He's he's um, he's been given to Eli to to raise, um, and we're going to see that God uses him in a mighty mighty way to represent him uh, in the transition between the judges and Saul, and then between Saul and David. He Samuel is going to be God's man. I've referred to, to Samuel seven, several times as, as God's mighty oak. That's kind of the way that I, I picture him. There was some years ago, there was a, a young missionary that um, was martyred on the field. And I remember hearing a, a radio cast or newscast that was talking about it. The commentator said, you know, sometimes God wants a mighty oak. And then, referring to the young missionary that had been martyred, he said, sometime God wants uh, uh, something in my brain. God wants a, a tender shoot. You know, he, 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 he contrasted the death of this really young missionary as a tender shoot, one that would be pleasing to God, one apparently a life that was just totally given over. But then there are times when God wants a, a George Mule or a Hudson Taylor, you know. To me that's the mighty oak. And that's what Samuel was, you know. He was God's man uh, in every way. So Hannah took Samuel to Eli as she had vowed. She said, For this boy I prayed and he has given me my petition. I have dedicated him to the Lord as long as he lives. The boy ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. Okay. Even with all of the sin, all of the stuff that was going on in the temple, 
God protected little Samuel and did in his life what he wanted. While he was quite young and living with Eli in the temple, God called Samuel and revealed his plan to judge Eli and his sons because of their sins. But God was, was raising that young guy. He was preparing him for all that, that God had, had for him. See, several things that God did. First off, God established Samuel in the eyes of all Israel as his prophet. It says that Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and that none of his words fail. All Israel from Dan even to Bathsheba knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again and the Lord appeared again at Shiloh because the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Now, in the earlier part of chapter 3, uh, God tells us that the word of God was, was, was very rare during the days of, of, this, of this, during this time. Very seldom was God, were the people hearing from God as they had used, been used to hearing through the prophets and through the different ways. So here we see God's confirmation of Samuel saying that um, the, word, the Lord revealed himself to, to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. So here again, as Samuel was taking on the, the responsibilities of a prophet and all, God started that flow again to his people, to his faithful people, as the word started flowing. And Samuel was standing before the people and with the thus saith the Lord. So God established Samuel in the eyes of Israel as a prophet. He also spoke through Samuel to call his people to repentance. Okay? Now this has to be a part of any man of God to call his people back. It says, Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all of your heart, remove the foreign gods and the Asherah from among you, and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him alone, and he will deliver you from the hands of the Philistines. So that Samuel's constant word to the people, if you will return, God's going to deliver you. If you will return, if you will be obedient, if you will remove the stuff in your life that doesn't belong there, if you will direct your hearts to the Lord, if you will serve him, then God's going to deliver you. And that's the same message that we have today in it. Exactly the same thing. That's what we need. Okay? It's repentance. It's coming to the understanding that we're going the wrong way. And we have to turn around and we have to go back. You know? And sometimes we have to do that every day. If you're like me, sometimes you have to do that every hour. You know? But when God speaks to our heart, we have to stop, listen to him, and return so that he can deliver us, that he can bless us. So he established Samuel, he spoke through Samuel, and then he commissioned Samuel. Because the, the people were, were demanding a king. Okay, God's obvious plan was to go from, from the judges to, to Samuel, and Samuel to be the bridge straight to David. But the people wouldn't listen to that. No, we want a king like everybody else. Okay, So um, God warned the people through Samuel, Samuel commissioned, God commissioned Samuel to appoint a king over the nation. 
And God instructed Samuel, warn them and tell them of the procedure of the king who will reign over them. The people refused to listen. No, but there shall be a king over us. And finally the Lord said, listen to the voice of the people and anoint a king. You know, that, that should be a, a warning flag to us in our lives today. Because I tell you what, if we ask for something, we desire something, and God says no, and we keep pushing for it, we better be scared that God gives it to us along with the circumstances of, of what, what's involved. We need to be like Hannah. We need to, to go to the Lord and seek the Lord's desire and prayer and, and find out you know, why he's withholding this, why we don't have the direction that we need. And then also we see in Samuel, and we've touched on this just a minute, but Samuel was God's living link between Israel's past and Israel's future. Whereas we said every leader needs a Samuel a person in touch with God, uh, appreciative of the, of the past, but willing to follow God into a new era, a man of faith and encouragement who sees the hand of God at work where others see only confusion. Now, boy, that's, that's, that describes that day in which Samuel was living. It was a time of utter confusion when it came to leadership, and yet Samuel had... Samuel could see spiritually God's work even in the midst of all of that, that tribulation, what was going on. But one other man that we see in Scripture filled a similar uh, responsibility, and that was, that was Daniel. I don't remember. Daniel served under, maybe one of you all can tell us, I think it was like five or six different kings. You know, He was kind of the, the canopy that God had over uh, these different kings when as, it, as God was moving through history and all. The more I study Samuel, the more I look into his life, the more I appreciate him, you know, and um, wish I could be like him. How is it possible to describe or judge the value of a man like Samuel? He was a man who was totally sold out to his God with no personal will or agenda of his own. He was a bridge between the judges and Saul and between Saul and David. And then we see God's use of his life in 7.15. He says, now Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. And if you remember towards the end of his life, he went before the people and he said, now if there's anything that I have done, ever done, if I've ever taken anything from you, if there's, if there's anything at all that you have against me, come and speak it. You know, what would happen if we had a political candidate today that did that? I know what we would have. We wouldn't have a president. Period. <laughs> but I mean, he was—he was God's man. He was totally sold out to the Lord. He had no agenda of his own. He wanted God's will to be done. He was available. He was a channel. And God used him mightily. So then we come to Saul. And we're kind of following these as they were introduced to us in 
in 1 Samuel. And of course, Israel demanded a king. He said, appoint a king for us to judge over us like all of the nations. God's answer was, okay, listen to their voice and appoint them a king. So the Lord revealed to Samuel that he would send him a man who would be God's choice for king over the people. And then you remember through numerous acts of providence, God brought Samuel and Saul together. Remember the lost donkeys and the the different um, uh, seeming circumstances that God was, was, was orchestrating then. And so Samuel was, was appointed, and he enjoyed some limited success, but it didn't take long before the real Saul started showing up in his responses and all. Remember, one of the first things that we have recorded about Saul was the fact that that uh, Jonathan, his son, had gone out and won a military victory, so Saul took the credit for it. You know, he said, that, that was mine. And that's just the type of person that was characteristic of the kind of leader Paul was. He offered sin, sinful sacrifices. Saul uh, was given specific instructions to wait for Samuel at Gilgal. And Saul disobeyed by looking at mounding circumstances rather than obeying. And when confronted by Samuel, he responded with excuses, deception, and blame shifting. You know, one of the one of the most basic things that God has got to have out of out of any type of leadership is a willingness to wait on the Lord, a willingness to follow God's instructions. You know, sometimes waiting on the Lord is a tough thing to do. You know, and and Saul started uh, set out to. To obey, but then all of a sudden he started looking at all this, all of the circumstances that were closing in on him, and he thought, "Well, no, Samuel's not going to come. He's not going to come offer these sacrifices like he said. So I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to take take it in my own hands," and that's what he did. And of course, the scripture tells us apparently they told him to wait seven days. Apparently, like on the morning of the seventh day, the afternoon of the seventh day, whatever. Saul takes things in his own hands and guess who arrives by the end of the day? Samuel. You know? And if only he had been willing to trust God. You know? And so often God gives us the answer at the last minute, doesn't he? I mean, you know, that's just not the way we want it. But sometimes he does. You know? He offered sinful sacrifices. He, he offered, I'm, I'm just going to be in bad shape on time. Um... I don't want to talk a whole lot about Saul. I want to get to the positive stuff. So, um, you know, he offered a, he made a, a selfish curse that almost cost Jonathan his life. Um, there was the incomplete obedience, and, and you know these stories of, of Agag. Uh, and finally, the word of God came to Saul and said, you know, you have rejected me, and I have rejected you. But when even when he rejected him, and told him he could no longer be king, he didn't take him out of, out of his office. He left him in his role as, as, as the king. And he did that, as far as I can tell, because he wanted to use him as an instrument of, of sanctification in David's life. You know? I mean, David, David suffered greatly from Saul. Even after David was... was 
even after Saul was removed from office, quote, removed from office. But there was certain equipping and pruning that God knew that David needed, and he decided, God ordained that he was going to use Saul to do it. And he did. So we'll slide by the life of Saul. Then God brings David on the scene. Okay? You know, Samuel, God spoke through Samuel and said, I have chosen for myself a king, one who's, uh, who is um, a man after my own heart. David was not just a, how to say he wasn't just the luck of a draw king like Saul was okay David was and his rule was foreordained foreordained by God long before he ever came on the scene you can look back into into Deuteronomy and you can see but his his reign was a result of the covenant that God had made with him and with his people and so, Second Samuel seven kind of outlines the covenant to us, and you can see where God over and over and over shows His responsibility and making the choices, His responsibility of calling the, calling David to Himself. But He says, "I took you from the pasture to be ruler over my people Israel." We talked a couple of weeks ago about the. Um, the shepherd boy. I took you from the pasture to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone. I have cut off all your enemies. And then he says, I will make you a great name. I will appoint a place for my people Israel. See, the, the, the promise, the covenant goes beyond just God dealing with David as a man. He's going to use David in the life of his people. I will give you rest. I will make a house for you. I will raise up your descendants after you. I will establish his kingdom. Talking about Solomon, I assume there. So God's got the railroad cars back on the track, so to speak. Okay. He's, he's got his people where he wants them. God chose David, but God's, but the Lord said to David, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. This was, was David's brother. For God sees not as a man sees, but God looks at the out, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. You know, when Saul was presented to the people, he was presented as, you know, Mr. Macho Man, you know, he was taller than anybody else and he was, you know, he had, I don't know, he, he must have been something else, you know. And, and they, people got what they deserved from him. But God says, don't, don't, don't worry about that. And apparently David was a, was a handsome guy too. They talk about him, you know, and, and being selected to be in the courts uh, of the king. I mean, you had to have a certain amount of flair, I guess, I don't know. But God said, don't, don't look just on his appearance, but look on his heart. That's where my, my man's going to come from. 
his heart is going to be one that's, that's with me. The Lord looks on the heart. And then a couple of weeks ago, we talked about David as having the shepherd's heart. And I don't know, I, I guess I'm just ignorant, but it never clicked with me. I, I know, I've read for years about David being a man after God's own heart. But it just clicked with me this time that he was a man after God's own heart because David had a shepherd's heart. And God has a shepherd's heart. That's something we need to dwell on and meditate on. You know, we, 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 we say the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We need to really focus, meditate on God as our shepherd. He said, talking about David, he says, I will deliver, God says, I will deliver my flock. Then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David. He will feed them. He will feed them himself and will be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David will be a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. So God calls David to be his king to be the shepherd after his own heart. We see where God prepared and guided David. He gifted him. You know, here's a young man. He was a poet, a composer. Eventually, he was labeled the psalmist of, of Israel. He was equipped to serve in the royal court and on the battlefield. He was handsome. He was prudent in speech for the royal court. And on the battlefield, he was a man of valor and a brave warrior. And those are scriptures, those are direct uh, characteristics, descriptions right out of the scripture. And God used through processes and means to prov- providentially have David where he wanted him. You know, he had him at the battlefield in front of Goliath the very day he wanted him. You know, God's hand was on David every minute of the day. And then probably the greatest thing, obviously, in David's life that was that God was with David and Scripture tells us that he prospered in all of his ways. David's strength was, David's faith was strengthened by his spiritual insight. David saw spiritual truth through God's eyes and in light of his inexhaustible resources and commitment to his purpose. When he was coming against Goliath, and you know the, the entire nation was cowering down in terror, David says, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Why? That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. The entire nation of Israel was looking at it from a human perspective. You know, here's this nine-foot creature, you know, that's ahead of him, stands before him. Jonathan didn't see, uh, David didn't see him that way. David saw him already defeated because the battle was the Lord's. It wasn't his. It wasn't up to David to deal with Goliath. It was up to God to deal with. And, you know, we can apply that to our lives, to our Goliaths today, I guess. 
time is totally gone. Jonathan was a man that God brought alongside of David. What a beautiful story of, of, of encouragement. Um, the very last paragraph on page 6 kind of sums it up. It says, in David's disintegrating world, and you've got to realize that for, I don't know how long, perhaps a couple of decades maybe, Saul has been hounding David, okay? Hounding him, hounding him, hounding him. In Saul's disintegrating world, there was yet one space of sanity. You ever look for one space of sanity somewhere? One refuge still intact. And for David, that was Jonathan. There was covenant between the two. There David could find expected, could could expect devoted love. You know, that, that word, I, I, devoted love, that, that kind of spoke to me this week. You know, it was love more than just, you know, good friends type thing. But it was love that was devoted, I think, first off to God's, to accomplishing God's will for their lives and then also for um, uh, to Jonathan's and David's commit, devoted, devoted love and commitment to one another. So there we have it. When we get back together sometime in December or January, when we get to Second Samuel, we'll start looking more at the details of David's reign in his life. Um, I think First Samuel, what God is doing is just setting the stage. You know, he's rearranged some things, taken some actors out, so to speak, put others in, and now David's ready to go with God's help. Okay, Mr. Matt, it's all yours, brother. I hope you enjoyed your vacation last week because you will work for the next six weeks. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your spirit that, that lives within us to deal, to 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 impart the word to us. God, your, your word is so much more than just intellectual understanding. It's, it's power. Uh, it's, it's, the, it's the power of God to salvation and to sanctification to those who believe. So God, we just pray that you will take these truths that we've learned over these last seven weeks and that you will apply them to our lives Thank you, Lord, for the, the godly men and women that you have, have uh, called out in the past to be your, your examples, to be your stewards of your, um, of your provision, of your equipping. God, we just, we just thank you. We thank you for your, for your goodness to us. Pray that you go into the next hour with us now, Lord, as we as we worship you, be with Brand as once more he opens the word of God to our heart, and may we sit in awe and worship before you now. In Jesus' name we pray.